and welcome to A Well-Read Life. This is a place to share stories about good books and the reading life. I'm your host, Beth Jamison. Join me as I meander through my reading journey and discover the books that make up A Well-Read Life. Simon the Goose Boy from the Wolves of Willoughby Chase returns with his own adventure in Blackhearts and Battersea. When Simon travels to London to study at the Riviere Art Academy, he discovers that his good friend and mentor, Dr. Field, has gone missing. And not only missing, his landlord and neighbors claim they have never seen him. Simon tries to piece together the disappearance of his friend and is soon embroiled in a plot of political intrigue and murder. Blackhearts and Battersea is the fun and adventurous second book in the Wolves of Willoughby Chase series. I can't get enough of Joan Aiken's The Wolves of Willoughby Chase books. I'm addicted to them. After finishing The Wolves of Willoughby Chase, I immediately went and ordered a copy of Blackhearts and Battersea, the second book in the series. I've never read this book before, and I enjoyed playing the detective, mapping out the clues and the characters and their actions, and trying my hand at solving the mysteries of the book as I read. It's been a fun exercise. I usually don't take the time to engage with a book in this way. Too often I put my trust in the delicate balance of memory, but I'm glad that I did. This is exactly the type of book suited for it. At first I was afraid that The Wolves of Willoughby Chase and Blackhearts and Battersea would be too similar or too repetitive, but I was pleasantly surprised by the differences in the two books. Each book has the thumbprint of Joan Aiken, her style and voice, but they are two very different stories. Similar enough to connect them, though. Whereas The Wolves of Willoughby Chase gave us a story of danger, mischance, and borderline tragedy, Black Hearts and Battersea gives us mystery with a side of adventure, political intrigue, and a good dose of humor. And now, here's more about the story. Where is Dr. Field? This was the first note I made about Black Hearts and Battersea. Joan Aiken begins her book with an air of mystery. The story is driven by the disappearance of Dr. Field, Simon's friend from the Wolves of Willoughby Chase. He has vanished without a trace. Simon has just arrived in London to study art and is shocked to discover him missing. In fact, Dr. Field's former landlords, the Twites, and their neighbors say they've never heard of him. They claim he has never lived in the neighborhood of Rose Alley. In spite of this assertion, Simon believes that Dr. Field has lived there. There are too many clues to support this. The upper room in the Twites' home is as Dr. Field described it in the letter, and a sketch of the landlord's daughter is in his style, with what looks to have been his signature torn from the bottom of the page. It is up to Simon to discover where he has gone. But unbeknownst to Simon, there is a plot to overthrow the king and murder the Duke of Battersea. Intrigue abounds in the second installation of the series. Joan Aiken expands the world of the Wolves of Willoughby Chase and Blackhearts in Battersea, painting a broader picture of it. This is an alternate history of England. At the beginning of the book, Joan Aiken has written a note to her reader. She says, The action of this book takes place in the same period as that of the Wolves of Willoughby Chase, the reign of King James III. Near the beginning of the 19th century, when England was still sadly plagued by wolves. She is giving us a definite sense of time and place for the setting of the book, more information than we got in The Wolves of Willoughby Chase. 
This England is ruled by King James III, a Scot. It is rife with political intrigue. Joan Aiken quickly acquaints the young reader to history and political plots, which involve plans for murder. A group known as the Hanoverians are plotting to take the throne away from King James III and give it to the Hanoverian Bonnie Prince George. This part of the book makes me want to head to the library and compare history to the world of Joan Aiken. Her alternate history is delightfully tongue-in-cheek. Written with such gusto and good humor that you can't help but enjoy it. Much of the plot and mystery concerns the family of the Duke of Battersea. So we only get a glimpse of the historical background, but what we do get of it is a treat. This is a world with weapons called picked clobbers. Picked, a reference to the Scottish people, is used as a derogatory term for those loyal to James III throughout the book. And nursery rhymes and songs holding cryptic messages for the conspirators. It takes Simon time to realize that the street urchin Todd, who follows him around, is sending messages through his song to his neighbors to warn them against giving Simon information. Nimmy Nimmy Not, my name's Tim Tit Tot. The words are nonsense to Simon, but the reader can surmise that they hold a message. Joan Aiken brings these little details into her books, giving them a wider breadth, and planning the book solidly in an alternative historical time and place that we can still relate to. The details surely heralding back to similar plots in history. She has enough faith in the intelligence of children to trust that they can piece the small clues together. She keeps the mystery, which could be relatively easy to solve, interesting and dynamic by giving it humor, breadth, and substance, enriching it with details like nursery rhyme clues and a rather lively cast of characters. Into this expanded world of mystery and intrigue comes a new cast of characters. I want to take a little time to introduce you to them, because they are so fun this time around. Simon and Dr. Field we know from the Wolves of Willoughby Chase. Bonnie and Sylvia and the rest of the Green family are mentioned in passing, but these are the only two characters who carry over from the previous book, making it not so much a sequel as a continuation of one character's story and an expanded view of the world. More of Simon's backstory is revealed. Before he was the goose boy who lived in a cave, he lived at Gluber's Poor Farm, an orphan horribly mistreated by the owners of the farm. In this book, he is more than the Green Cousin's rescuer, he becomes the hero of his own story. He maintains the same steadfast, hardworking, and kind character, but it is stretched and his loyalty is tested. The new characters are more outlandish than in the last book, and it is sheer fun. The book introduces the Twight family, who along with the Duke of Battersea's family play a central role in the story. Made up of Mr. and Mrs. Twight and their daughters Penelope and Dido, an unattractive family as Dr. Field tells Simon in a letter. I have no evidence to support that she drew her inspiration from him, but the Twite family have a delightfully Dickensian flavor to them. It is only inspiration, though. The characters are wholly Joan Aiken originals. She has placed her mark on them and made them her own. Mr. and Mrs. Twite are loud and slightly obnoxious and deceptively conniving. They seem suspicious from the start. Penelope, her mother's favorite, is spoiled and a bit of a peacock. Dido, the youngest daughter, is a waif-like urchin, unkempt and unattractive. She is pesky and scrappy and spunky, a street-smart survivor. Simon begrudgingly befriends Dido in the beginning, but it soon grows into real affection. To me, Dido is the standout of the book. It was Dido's fate I wanted to know about when I finished the book. I wanted more of her story. 
It took me a while to be won over by her, but in the end, I was won over by her disarming charm. I was relieved to find that she is featured in more of the books in the series, especially since the book left her fate a mystery, more ominous because of a fortune teller's prophecy about her. There are a whole set of Dwight relatives as well. The London of the book is populated by the family, but an introduction to them will have to rest until you read the book. I don't want to give too much of the story away. At the heart of the murder plot is the aristocratic Battersea family, loyal to King James. I'm going to have to be slightly vague here to protect the plot. There are the Duke and Duchess of Battersea and Sophie the Duchess's lady's maid. Sophie was a friend of Simon's at the poor farm. And the Duke's heir, his nephew Justin. The Duke is an amateur inventor and scientist. Good-natured and warm-hearted, if a bit eccentric. Happy to play chess or tinker about with his inventions. The Duchess is a grand lady and a great lover of fine clothing. She's a kind woman, if a bit self-absorbed. Justin is a spoiled and obnoxious child, but Joan Aiken still manages to make him palatable. Sophie is capable, resourceful, and it's owing to her ingenuity and a certain tapestry of her graces that the Duke and Duchess's lives are saved on multiple occasions. She is brave and talented, and she and Simon share a sweet bond and friendship. The rest of the characters are left for you to discover, to protect the plot again, because trying to figure out the mystery is always the most fun part of a book. Joan Aiken excels in her characters in this book. She exposes children to a wide range of personalities. Rarely is any character too perfect to be relatable. Dido Dwight comes to mind. To see how these lives overlap and the story comes together with all the eccentric personalities and their idiosyncrasies is a treat. There's a certain level of suspension of disbelief, and yes, some of the mystery is obvious, but the story moves so quickly and is such fun that it isn't distracting and you happily go along for the ride. From what I've read of Joan Aiken's work, she is a writer that takes the pact between reader and writer seriously, especially the child reader. She remembers to give children a reading experience that is pleasurable and fun without being watered down. She gives them characters to love and root for and ones to despise. She gives them adventure and truth. She takes their problems and pain seriously, but she remembers to make them laugh and smile. For a child, this book may be their first introduction to solving a mystery in a book. Being an avid fan of the mystery genre, this thrills my heart. Is it just me, or does there seem to be a shortage of mystery stories for young readers? And while it isn't solely a mystery, it provides the chance for the child to try to solve a mystery, to wonder at who done it, and eagerly turn the pages to collect more clues, piecing them together, and perhaps solving it in the end. There's so much to love in this book and admire about Joan Aiken's writing that it's hard to narrow down what I love most. She throws a mixed bag at the reader. Mystery, intrigue, a colorful cast of characters, sea adventure, daring rides on hot air balloons, battling a pack of fierce and hungry and wild wolves in the forest, and manages to bring it together into a cohesive, well-told story. I appreciate that she doesn't underestimate a child's intellect or talk down to them. After all, political intrigue of this caliber isn't something you find too often in a children's book. It takes a certain trust and confidence in a young reader that they will enjoy this type of plot. If you've been a reader long enough, you may recognize certain plot points of this book. It's easy to get jaded in our reading as an adult, but don't let this stop you from reading Black Hearts and Battersea. Joan Aiken's stories aren't just for children. 
They are for all of us who can do with a bit of fun in our reading life. Throwing caution to the wind and agreeing with the author to suspend disbelief for just a little while in order to be immersed in the world of a story. I'm looking forward to seeing what the rest of the Wolves of Willoughby Chase series has in store. Read this book for the adventure, for plots to kill kings and dukes, for hot air balloon rides, for battles with wolves and unexpected sea voyages. Read it for the cast of zany characters, outlandish, humorous, villainous, and kind. Some you will love from the start, others will take time to love, and some you never will. Read it for the mystery, to stretch your brain at solving a puzzle. Read it for the pure fun of the book. Like me, you may find yourself begging for more.